Welcome to The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I am neither Michael Broadcorp nor Becky Scher. I am Jeff Kolb. Uh, you may know me from this podcast. Uh, I have I have the uh, best ratings ever on the Tweet of the Week award winning, and uh, I am the most highly rated guest host and third wheel on the show, which is why when the show was going to hack in a handbasket this week, somebody called me up and said, hey, we need somebody to fill in. I think it should be you. Nobody more qualified especially because of my food takes. So here's what's going on. There's uh, there's an old adage in show business, the show must go on. So we had originally, uh, I, I was originally supposed to co-host with Becky today. However, Becky has a young child and that young child has come down with the most disgustingly named uh disease of all time, the hand, foot, and mouth disease, which if you ever had a kid in daycare or had young children uh, you're familiar with, the unfortunate posting on the window when you get to the daycare and they say, hey, we got hand, foot, and mouth disease going around. So uh, little Mr. or Mrs. Cher, I don't know who, uh, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl because that's how plugged in I am, but uh, is recovering from uh, sticking their hand and foot in their mouth or whatever goes on there. I don't, I don't know. That's pretty disgusting. So, uh, so why was I going to guest host with Becky? You ask, why wasn't Michael going to be on the show? Well, it's time to tell a story people. Uh, let's talk about it. Mr. Broadcorp, you are here today. However, you're a little bit quieter than usual. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what's been going on in your life and uh, why you were going to take a little bit of a step back. Uh, As a good friend, okay, it was Michael, told me one time, gave me some great advice, which is don't get hit by a car. Uh, Great advice, Michael. It seems uh, just by living vicariously from through you that uh, it's not the greatest experience. Um, how are things going, Michael Broadcorp? Overall, things are going great. I am uh, recovering convalescing at home, but the reality is that the impact of getting hit by a car is, as described, it's not easy. I need to, uh, on per some of my doctor's recommendations, slow down a little bit for the next few weeks. And so I had reached out to the Honorable Jeff Kolb to see if he'd be willing to co-host for me. And so Jeff is going to be here. Uh, my hope is to be back in some limited capacity for over the next few weeks. But if should I need to take a break uh, as I recuperate? Uh, Jeff is one of my best friends. Uh, I love him like the brother I never had. I, it's also interesting to note for our listeners, when I got hit by the car, and my Apple Watch helped save my life. One of my emergency contacts was Jeff Kolb. Uh, and let me tell you, that was a freaky experience, ladies and gentlemen. Freaky experience. I will get into that in just a minute, but go on. So I am just trying to pace myself a little bit. I have some physical therapy and some other things that I need to do. And so I need to be focused on that right now. And, I, and since you usually do 30 to 40 hours of prep for each show... That really cuts into your show prep time, and I get that, and I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity, and I want—I want to say for the record, let's get this out. Uh, let's let's put this right out there. There is a uh, there 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 is one of your hesitations in having me come and be a, a guest host on your show was that uh, the audience would love me 
and that they wouldn't want you back. And I just want to say, for the record, well, that's likely true. Uh, it's your show, and I uh, and I appreciate the opportunity, but I will not be your permanent uh, your permanent replacement host uh, unless the, the public may want it. Unless the money is really good. Yeah. And that's 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 the caveat there. So uh, we can talk numbers at the end of the show. Uh, fantastic. Uh, let's talk about. So it was how many weeks ago? It was uh, several weeks ago. It was a what Friday night? Friday night around a little over four and a half weeks ago. Yeah. So I was uh, I was packing, leaving town the next day uh, to go on a vacation. First vacation in many years without the children. Uh, as those of you who have children know how wonderful it is to get away for just a little while so you can, because absence makes the heart grow fonder. And uh, packing, getting ready for the trip, and I get a text message. And the text message says, Michael Broadcorp has suffered a hard fall and his watch has called 911. And I'm looking at it thinking, what the hell is going on here uh so that was a little bit shocking to get a come to learn as uh you've probably heard by now uh michael had uh had been uh out in the street a little bit and the car swerved and hit him and he fell down and he did in fact i've seen the video suffer a very hard fall uh uh did quite a bit of damage uh, more damage i think than even you initially thought is that a, is that a fair statement michael it is fair yeah. So, I, and you know, we've kept in touch uh, from there. I, I we have a we, we had a pretty funny situation. Uh, apparently, Michael is still one of the half dozen people left in America that still has a home phone. So, when I couldn't reach him or his wife on their cell phones, we called uh, we, we called the home phone. Uh, my wife spoke to one of Michael's children who then said uh, that he was fine and that he would be to the phone in just a minute. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, one of the other children picked up the phone then and filled us in on what was really going on, let us know emergency services were there and that Michael's wife was there. And then I felt good that I could get on my plane. Uh, although I did make you text me uh, when you were on your way to the hospital what the chances of death were because I was trying to decide if I needed to delay getting on the airplane or not. So I was glad that you put your chances of death at very low. And, um, you know, I, I hate to see you hurting and, uh, I know you've got a long road of recovery ahead of you, but, uh, glad to know that, you know, it wasn't more serious than it absolutely could have been. Um, again, I've, I've seen the video. There's reasons why we're not, uh, making that video widely available at this point um, because there's an ongoing uh, criminal investigation here. It was a hit and run. Um, and I'm sure there will be, be more to come on that particular matter. But um, yeah, glad to see you're uh, taking taking things a little bit slow and I'll be here to kind of fill in it when I can. And as soon as Becky's kid stops putting his foot in his mouth or whatever's going on there, we can kind of, we can get back to, things as normal i'm sure that becky's just going to have amazingly bad food fight top food fight lists over the next couple of weeks so that's pretty exciting uh but yeah so I, I you know it's funny uh you may think that this show that a show like this is uh completely uh done by the seat of your pants but it's not there's actually a script here they asked me to stick to the script which i've done a very bad job of <laughs> so far uh but um 
Yeah, we, 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 there's a couple of topics that we're going to cover today. We have a special guest, uh, former state representative, former mayor of St. Paul Park, and current executive director of uh, Save Our Charities. Keith Frankie will join us in just a few minutes. Uh, protect Our Charities, excuse me. I knew I was going to get that wrong, and that's why you go to your notes, people. That's why show prep is important, but... To be fair, I really only had a very limited amount of time to do show prep. Protect our charities. Protect our charities. I apologize, Keith Frankie, for getting that name wrong, but he'll say it seven or eight more times uh, during the interview so that you can get it right. Michael, did you have something you wanted to add before I go down the script? Uh, go down the script, and then I'll I like to add a few things. All right. So in this episode, we are going to loosely keep to the agenda that was laid out for me. We'll be talking about, oh, excuse me, we're going to break down Governor Walt's veto of the Uber and Lyft bill and a couple of other uh, uh, interesting developments at the end of the legislative session. And uh, then we'll have our interview with uh, Keith Frankie. And, uh, you know, then we'll end our show with the uh, tweets of the week and the food fight with Broadcurb and Becky, except for not with Broad Corbin Becky, it'll be Broad Corbin Kolb. I don't know that doesn't roll off the tongue quite as good. We're going to have to get some better branding around this. But this week's topic will be frozen pizzas. Uh, we should add, um, it was a wonderful job, uh, both adhering to the script and not adhering to the script. I do miss Becky this week. She is a lot of things, and one of them is a wonderful mother. And so her kid's sick. I hope that she and her family, uh, she's back next week and everyone recovers. She is a fantastic analyst, fantastic strategist. Uh, she offers wonderful takes, except on some of the food. But I've said that to her online and directly, so I'm not speaking behind her back. But thank you, Jeff, for number one, stepping in when I needed help and also for taking the lead in this show. I want to say to the listeners, um, it's incredibly important when you go through an experience like I have. To have friends and to have family. And I said, I promised myself I wouldn't get upset, but I have been overwhelmed by the support and love that I've received from my wife, from my kids, and my family, and my friends. And one of those is Jeff Kolb. Uh, Jeff uh, was an emergency contact for me. He's checked in on me, stopped by just yesterday, stopped by and refused to take a Charleston Chew, by the way, stopped by with his wonderful children and his family. Uh, I care immensely for Jeff, and I couldn't. I couldn't simultaneously think of anyone better who could fill in for me for my skills than Jeff and also someone who could potentially replace me, which could potentially happen. But Jeff is the type of friend that I hope everyone has in life. He is the type of person who tells me when I'm right, and he certainly tells me when I'm wrong. And so it's great to have him here. I, I also just want to say just a, a general thing. I have been really overwhelmed by the support, the visits, and the love and, that I've received in messages and stuff. I want to just say just one last thing about that. If you know someone who's going through something, check in. You know, Jeff stopping by my house. I had a couple visits last week that just were so important. During this time when people are recovering from something, it's really important that they still maintain those social connections. Stopping by. So if you know someone that in your life that is sick, recuperating from something, send them a message. Check in. I have just been overwhelmed by the text messages, phone calls, the support I received from people. 
And it, it means a lot. It's helpful in the recovery. And um, one of the best people that's done that has been Jeff. And so I'm great. I'm really excited to have him here. I'm sure he's going to use his opportunity to paper the file about my bad food takes and other things. As I've explained before, these podcast episodes are like black boxes of planes. These are not going anywhere. So there'll be a log of this for future generations to see. And I really hope that Jeff uses his opportunity to really paper the file well. You may go well, on. Jeff. Well, 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 thank you very much, uh, Michael. I, I, I would I would point out that the script says brief, light conversation at this point. So uh, that was a little bit heavy. So if you want to maybe take it up a couple notches next time, get a little... A little bit lighter, uh, brief, light, con. It actually says convo, uh, because we we shorten things here in the podcast business. We can't write out conversation. We say convo. Uh, one thing that's interesting, Michael. Um, you know what Michael didn't touch on here is that I did have the chance to chat with a with uh, one of Michael's doctors and float a theory. Um, which actually was shot down, which is really kind of disappointing to me. But I asked uh, one of Michael's doctors if maybe the crash and kind of the, you know, kind of some of the stuff getting beat up and stuff, if maybe that was, um, maybe if that was the source of your bad political opinions uh, over the past couple of months. But the doctor said that that just doesn't line up with the timing, actually, that the bad political opinions started first. So he doesn't think, he doesn't think that that's it. So, um, I that's was a HIPAA violation. It is. Yeah, it is. Uh, you cut that out in post production if you don't want it. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right. So let's go into our first topic. Let's break it down. Breaking down. Tim Waltz, uh, Governor Tim Waltz, and I know this is going to kill Michael because uh, uh, one thing you might not know about Michael is that he actually has a small statue of Tim Waltz that he kind of worships on uh, kind of a nightly basis because he thinks so highly of the governor. Um, he's just been one of the governor's biggest cheerleaders. Uh, but I am going to talk about Tim Waltz issuing his first veto of the trifecta session on the Uber bill, the bill that would have uh, seen us end uh, Uber service in uh, greater Minnesota entirely and restrict us to only premium services in the Twin Cities metro area, according to the CEO of Uber. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about this, which is, which is interesting. I think uh, between the, this particular bill and the Mayo Clinic um, bill, that the, the nursing staffing bill that was not vetoed but did not pass uh, after a threat by the Mayo Clinic to uh, withhold a significant amount of uh, funding or not uh, not do future development here in Minnesota. They were going to bring their investments elsewhere. Um, I find the 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 situation interesting because we have proven uh, with these two bills, uh, they were very anti-business. They were very, um, uh, if you're being polite, you would call them pro-worker. I don't, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that's what their proponents would say. Uh, but the businesses involved uh, were talking about the uh, massive amount of expense, the new amount of regulation that would come from these bills. And in both cases, uh, you had the CEO of Uber telling Tim Waltz, if you sign this bill, we're not going to have Uber here in Minnesota. And you had uh, the Mayo Clinic saying, we're going to take our money and go elsewhere. Uh, what I find particularly interesting about that is that it seems that the Mayo Clinic 
and Uber both found the secret sauce to punching through the extremism of the trifecta. Uh, and that seems to be public threats. Well, the broader business community was entirely feckless when it comes to lobbying this term. You kind of famously had uh, a, a op-ed by a business leader saying there, that business has nothing to fear uh, from the DF, from the incoming DFL trifecta. Uh, published at the beginning of the legislative session, and then at the end of the legislative session, having to issue a mea culpa saying, oops, I was wrong. We did have something to fear after all. Now, of course, uh, if I could be allowed to be so rude, anyone with uh, a brain or anyone who has watched what the DFL has been up to over the last several years understood that businesses did, in fact, have something to fear from a all-DFL uh uh, government, and I think that it's it, it, again, it's it, what you see is that the only time that anyone was able to kind of to break through the uh, the extremism of what the DFL was pushing down at the Capitol this year is by issuing public threats. Uh, Michael, I'd like to bring you into the conversation at least a little bit. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, related to, I guess, the ineffectiveness of the broader business community to to uh, tamp down anything that the DFL was trying to push this year at the legislature, but those entities who pushed public threats uh, being able to to get their way ultimately. Um, I, sh I should note that that was uh, Jonathan Weinhagen, the president and CEO of the Minneapolis Regional Regional Chamber of Commerce, who authored those op eds. I was. Um, critical of the original op-ed. And let's just be candid and direct. Uh, I did support the governor, uh, but I voted split ticket on a number of other races. And so one of the things that I've argued before about is is balance. I think uh, having there being a checks and balances with the party, the various between the Republicans and the Democrats is good. Um, but the reality is the Democrats control all three of the you know, the trifecta, the House, the Senate, and the governor's office. To see that type of op-ed at the beginning of this session was somewhat surprising. Um, some Just this kind of declarative statement uh, that there was nothing to be concerned about this. And I do think, very insightful of you, Jeff, uh, I hope that extends to your food takes, but very insightful of you to note the the difference between the head of the of a chamber of commerce, very significant chamber of commerce, not to diminish any of that, but the, the Minneapolis Regional Chamber of Commerce coming out and saying there's nothing to be concerned about. And then to see so his approach was much different than the than the mail and Uber in terms of their kind of aggressive statements publicly about what their expectations uh were. And then to have such a quick mea culpa by him after the legislative session uh, trying to clean up for what the kind of narrative that he said, I thought was somewhat, somewhat remarkable. But it was very insightful for you to pick on, pick uh, just to note the different approaches that were taken. Well, Michael, I think what's what's interesting uh, and what what I saw, and I, I know you have your Tim Walz statue that you that you worship on a daily basis, but I, I'd like to understand. Um, it was not pressure on legislators that uber was exerting it was not pressure on legislators that mayo was exerting it was pressure directly on the governor 
Um, what do you think it says right. about the governor and what do you think it says about kind of the way that that the government works in the state of Minnesota that, again, the only two interests that seem to kind of um, have any any type of uh, success uh, pushing back against the the massive tax increases and 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 uh, new new regulations were the ones that publicly came out and and spoke to the governor that way. I think what it shows is that they were not going to be successful in directly advocating for their issues through the legislature. I think there's been a number of stories and analysis that was done that I mean that's discussed that the Democrats, you know, they have a one seat majority in the Senate. They voted in lockstep on everything. And you did highlight a, a piece of legislation that wasn't successful, but they voted uh, in lockstep on a number of issues. And so I do think that it shows, I think, how unified the Democrats are at the, at the state capitol uh, to push their agenda. And as I've articulated before in the podcast, I do not believe that legislative Democrats litigated and told the voters of the state exactly what they were going to do. I don't believe that uh, the agenda pushed by legislative Democrats was openly discussed on the campaign trail. There's a number of reasons why I think they were successful. I think the top of the Republican ticket helped sink a number of legislative Republican candidates across the state. I think uh, Scott Jensen hurt uh, legislative candidates, and he also hurt the uh, both uh, Jim Schultz and Ryan Wilson, who were running respectively for attorney general and for state auditor. Um, but I also think that what it also shows is that the business community could feel that they could speak to the governor directly. And you're not going to like this answer, Jeff, but I also think it showed the effectiveness of the governor, that he was able to break from his party, stand up to them, and veto that legislation. We uh, Becky had noted on a previous episode about how legislation was moving through at a very quick pace, and that bills were passing when even fellow Democrats were talking about them not being ready for prime time. The Uber Lyft bill was a perfect example. Uh, Senator Ron Latz had raised concerns about it being complete, ready for prime time, but he still passed it through. The governor exercised uh, uh, his first veto since being elected governor uh, back in 2018. I, I think it was a smart veto, um, but I think it ultimately shows his willingness to be to, to be a pragmatist in, in the face of, I think, a very strong and united and very progressive DFL majority in the legislature. So uh, I was going to, I was, you kind of went there for me uh, and went with the charitable interpretation. Again, the charitable interpretation of Tim Waltz is that this positions him as per perhaps more moderate or more reasonable uh, relative agree. to the legislature. Um, I, it's not, uh, it, I'm not here to be charitable to Tim Waltz. What I say is that this shows again, the fact that Tim Waltz does not know who he is. And I think that that's been, I, I think Tim Waltz has been the, uh, has really uh, benefited from a very strange 
political environment that in a normal political environment, he would not be as successful as he has because he has shown himself to be such a weak leader. He's very wishy-washy. Um, he doesn't make decisions. Um, he's extraordinarily thin-skinned. Um, but I, but again, you know, the kind of ongoing joke is which version of Tim Waltz is this? Is this the Tim Waltz that wears his NRA hat around? Or is this the Tim Waltz who's going to stand up there and pretend that he's you know, that he's really into gun safety and and um, those types of things. So I think that, um, and, and it's not gun safety, it's gun control. I, I apologize for the uh, adopting the inaccurate language of the left for a moment. Um, so he's, is he the NRA Tim Waltz or is he the pro-gun control Tim Waltz? Is he the pro, is he the um, big government Tim Waltz or is he the, um, the, uh, pro-business Tim Waltz. And I think that, uh, again, I think that's been one of the biggest disappointments with Waltz, in my opinion, has been that he doesn't know who he is. So therefore, he it, it it's it's difficult to um, it's difficult to deal with someone who doesn't actually know what they believe in. Let me um, let me offer this. And we I've discussed this before. Um, there was a I think it was a political article uh, from earlier this year that talked about the potential of Tim Walls as a national candidate. And I said back then, and I stand by it now, that I, I don't think that Tim Walls is running for governor, running for president, excuse me, um, this term. Um, but if uh, on paper, there is no question that he is an absolutely viable candidate should he choose to run. Let me just state the record as, as I see it. Uh, Tim Walls won, defeated a Republican candidate, Republican incumbent member of Congress, um, in 2006, uh, that was a tough year for Republicans. Um, but he continued to win that seat that was continued to trend towards, it was a Trump district. Um, he continued to win that seat in Congress. He challenged the DFL endorsed candidate for governor in 2018 and was successful. He was ex won by a wide margin in 2018, excuse me, and, and was recently reelected. Politics is not static. It does not stay the same. And candidates that have the political longevity of those like Governor Walls have to evolve with the political environment. And if there's anything that I think he has been successful in doing is evolving in the changing, ever-changing political environment. Now, to his critics like you, that would mean that you would, you would call him wishy-washy. I, I think that Tim Walls has been... Um, is 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 navigated the a political minefield that has tripped up other Democrats and other Republicans very very successfully. Again, the charitable interpretation of evolution, one man's evolution, is another man's uh, inability to uh, have principles that they hold to. Um, I wasn't as artful as I'd like to say it, but you know what? We do these shows live, and. <laughs> We, and so sometimes you got to come up with things off the tip of your tongue. Uh, I think it's time to go to a guest, don't you? I do think it's time to go to a guest. Great job on that subject, Jeff. Thank you. Let's move on to our guest. Our guest today, a former state representative, and more importantly to somebody like me, former mayor of St. Paul Park, Minnesota, also currently the executive director of Protect Our Charities, Keith Frankie. Keith, great to have you on the show today. No, thanks for having me, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Thanks to Michael for setting this up. 
Um, representative, uh, if I may call you Keith, um, I have four wonderful sisters and, um, one of my sisters, my sister, Susan, I has been checking in with me and I discussed the fact that you were coming on the podcast and her eyes just lit up. Um, she went to school with you. She also disclosed to me that according to her memory, you were her second grade boyfriend. That and is so she, Well, in the interest of disclosure, she could not speak more highly of you. As first of all, let me be clear. She couldn't speak more highly of you as a second grade boyfriend. Um, she also, um, in, in your leadership, in your community, she was a huge fan of you being on. Um, she just, uh, instantly was excited to listen to the podcast as all my sisters do. Um, but I just wanted to give you, I want to disclose to our listeners, the fact that you did have uh, a, a romantic connection to my sister, Susan, in second grade, you were a gentleman, you were kind, you left a lasting impression on her. And uh, I'm excited to have you on today. <laughs> well, thank you. I don't know how to respond to that except to say thank you very much, Susan. That's great. Michael. I think it's I think it's interesting that you uh, mention that you have four wonderful sisters because when we talk, generally you say you have three wonderful sisters oh, and wow. then the other one. Thanks, and um, so I just thought that that was interesting uh representative or uh or mayor if i if i will um we you are currently the executive director of protect our charities which is a group uh dedicated to obviously protecting charities uh we had some movement here in the last legislative session around e-pull tabs i know this is not your first go around with e-pull tabs i know that you had uh, successfully fought off some e-pull tab legislation back when you were in the legislature can you tell uh tell our audience a little bit about what's going on with e-pull tabs and what the legislature is doing and and uh why they should care well, um, e-pull tabs has been an economic system that has been built up over the last 12 years that helps fund charities, small businesses, and our local communities to keep taxes low and provide services for people. Um, what this has grown into, I don't think people even realize how it spiderwebs and funnels right into your local community through your charities, nonprofits, and your small businesses. Um, what had happened was uh, the casinos, large casinos, decided that um, e-pull tabs was infringing upon their rights and their business. And um, two years ago, in after deadlines, they tried to insert some language that uh, would have completely eliminated e-pull tabs, according to the fiscal note, um, just wiped them away and, and left everybody hanging. So. Thankfully, we, with a divided government back then, we were able to beat that back and um, hold it at bay. Um, come this session, in the beginning of session, we had heard some rumblings that uh, something might happen and uh, started to build a coalition with our organization, Protect Our Charities, Allied Charities, um, American legions and some others that would be severely impacted by some potential legislation that would change this funding source. Um, we were told no, uh, you know, with the stadium being going to be paid off after uh, 20 years early because of this funding source, um, that the most they were looking at was a nice little tax cut for charities, which um, would be deservedly so after working so hard building this system and um, paying off the stadium for the citizens and for the Vikings. 
So fast forward uh, after deadlines, once again, um, a little bit of legislation called the Open All was introduced uh, based upon a uh, uh, what they called was a ruling in the appeals court, but it was not actually a ruling on the functionality of e-pull tabs. So it was almost a bait and switch. I know this gets a little technical for some, but the ruling that was ruled on um, in the casino's favor was uh, about rulemaking and that the Gambling Control Board couldn't enforce or make a rule via email, through middle management, a bunch of other stuff. So um, they introduced a bill, uh, like I said, once again, after deadlines, uh, just shoved it, no hearings, right into the omnibus bill. Um, we did get one brief hearing to discuss it. And that was on just that one piece, which they explained would just make you have to tap the screen one time versus four times. Um, and it wasn't going to be devastating. Now, we figured that would have over a 20% impact at the time. Some of our experts and allied charities was estimating because here again, no fiscal note was done, no revenue note, no you know, behind the scenes work was done on this legislation to let us know the impact it was going to have. It was just shoved in there. So we started to fight that. And uh, lo and behold, Friday night before the end of session at 11.30 p.m., all new language showed up, completely new language, 11.30 at night, two and a half days left in session. Nobody had seen it. Nobody had vetted it. Um, and it in my view, decimates e-pull tabs. It takes away the bonus games, free spins, and other functionalities of the e-pull tabs, strips them down to something where I think people will not want to play them as much, um, really uh, regulates them back to something even prior to what they're saying was the initial agreement about the e-pull tabs. Um, so now we're looking at a potential 80% loss in revenue. Now, granted, this funding source has grown into and will be, I think it's somewhere around a $2 billion a year industry. And what that impact that it's going to have is on your local charities, because they're the ones that get the funding. They're the ones that do the work, partnered with the small bars and restaurants that offer the e-poll tabs. And by law, anything that's left after expenses and costs goes right back into your community. I now think that's did. really, I, if, I, if I could interrupt for just a second, I think that's something that's very important to, to point out because as somebody who, you know, as a fellow veteran of, of local government, um, I was very close to those, to, to the charitable organizations in the community that had ran these charitable gambling operations and they fund uh, in the city where I uh, in in my city in Crystal, they fund essentially the entire uh, annual festival that we have. Crystal Frolics was entirely funded through um, charitable donations. They give uh, a ton of money to the fire department and buy equipment for the fire uh, for firefighters. Um, there's a number of, and then we've got the Lions. We've got a number of of these organizations who do great work in the community and are able to go out and fund these big projects, uh, sponsor things in parks. And now the legislature has come along and said, yeah, well, not so much anymore. You go ahead and um, 
we're going to, we're going to take your revenue from you. No, correct. You're right, Jeff. It's over 1100 plus charities that partner with over 3,300 small bars and restaurants. Now you talk about the impact of those communities and it's not just the community organizations. There's organizations out there that, you know, help people with HIV and AIDS. Um, there's organizations out there that help people with different disabilities. There's organizations out there that do something as simple as, you know, small historical societies, you know, use this funding. So there's a wide variety of different types of organizations that have become to rely on this funding. And um, e-pull tabs after December of last year became the number one funding source. So they surpassed paper pull tabs or any other type of charitable gambling as the number one revenue source for these organizations. So the fact that the way that this was done, um, literally, you know, we hear it all the time in politics in the dark of night because the language didn't even show up in the bill in conference, not even in a committee. It was in conference. And, and I think that goes to another topic that's near and dear to my heart that most people don't care about, but the actual um, process of lawmaking and transparency in government, it's its unconscionable to me that we have language that shows up at the last minute that has not had a hearing in either chamber that just gets shoved into a bill at the last minute when there's no there's no time to react to it. What do you know? Who? What is the driving force behind this? I know that that as I mentioned, Tim Waltz has kind of had his, um, has had backed kind of gutting e pull tabs in the past. But what is the real kind of behind the scenes? What's actually happening here? The the casinos are the ones pushing this. I mean, they don't hide from it. I mean, I've gotten emails back from, you know, representatives and legislators saying that um, they feel that the growth of e-pull tabs has harmed casinos and that they have morphed into something that it what they shouldn't be breaking the agreement. But I would respond by um, there was two court cases in our favor that said e-pull tabs are not slot machines. Um, and the third court case had nothing to do with actual functionality. Like I said, that was more of a bait and switch to give them an excuse to make this change. And the new legislation actually goes further and, and more harmful than the original legislation by taking away bonus games, bonus plays, free plays. Because if you have a paper pull tab, um, as most people know, I own a small bar and we have pull tabs and you have some of those single rip tickets, you rip it open, you get a number, you can go to the flare and then open another number. Therefore, that being a bonus ticket for another bonus play. Um, those have now been wiped away from E-Tabs. Just because the E-Tab has graphics or designs does not make it not a pull tab. So the courts had previously ruled in our favor, but I would say, you know, like anything, if you're a big corporation that has lots of money and you don't like the law, what do you do? Well, you lobby like hell with a lot of money to change the law. Yeah, it's and, clear that there's there's obviously some some big money special interests calling the shots here on this particular thing. I I think this is one of those laws or changes that, of course, the nobody really knows what the impact will be yet. We're starting to see um, some of the anger boiling up. I have seen some um, some. Uh, Messages directed at, uh, for instance, Representative Kristen 
Bonner from Maple Grove, the local hockey association, very upset with uh, her support of this particular matter. What do you suppose, is there something that people can do at this point? I mean, uh, I'm not sure the ink is even dry on the, on the bill at this point. The law hasn't really gone into effect. Is there an opportunity to stop this, to reverse the changes, to um, actually have some real hearings on this and do some studies on what it's really going to do? Or is kind of the is the is the game lost at this point well you know as everybody knows um there's anything can be changed once you have the senate the house and the governor all agree um and and that's the end goal that would be you know our at least um hope and prayer now do i see that happening at this point, the way that this was done and, and the excuses that were given, I, I don't know. Um, but we're going to continue to push, and we would ask people to push right behind us. You know, stand up, have your voice heard. I think another problem we had was not being able to get the proper information out because, you know, we were being told, well, there's no language. We really can't report on this. We don't know. There's no fiscal note. Well, we can't say, you know. I say that if this was even remotely a good thing for anybody – being a former politician myself, politicians would have stood on a chair and pounded their chest that we're doing something good and held 17 different hearings. Yeah, we don't, we don't generally pass great legislation at 11.30 p.m. when nobody's watching, when it has never gone through a committee. Those are the kinds of things you try and sneak in and hope that people don't understand. Now, obviously, the, the Democrats have been in lockstep on this as they were mo throughout the entire session. Uh I know you were, uh, were in office as a Republican at one point. Are other Republicans generally in favor of uh, restoring things back to the status quo or at least not, uh, reversing this change? Or are you having some trouble with the Republican side as well? Because I know gambling tends to be kind of a sticky issue uh, for some Republicans that they, they would rather we eliminated gambling altogether. So where should people be focusing their efforts? Um, well, first and foremost, since we have the trifecta, we need to focus our efforts on the DFL. I will agree with you, though, even in the first session where I had to defeat the original bill, we had Republicans vote against us. Um, and there are those anti-gambling people out there. Um, so I try to say that this isn't necessarily a partisan issue. Of course, this last session, it became a partisan issue because of the makeup of our legislature. Um, and, and that's a sad fact of what we've seen throughout the entire legislature this year. Yeah. It, um, it, again, as somebody who's seen the impact of this locally, I've uh, I've seen firefighters carrying the equipment that has been purchased with the revenues from these uh, from charitable gambling. It, it's, it's amazing to me that somebody would want to go and gut that in favor of, of, uh, the special interests, uh, and the casinos, um, in the state. It, it's, it's unfortunately not surprising, but it is still kind of amazing. Um, I, I guess, uh, let's give, let's wrap with some, information on how people can get a hold of you, get a hold of your organization, get involved and uh, make their voice heard on this issue. Sure. Once again, I want to thank you guys for having us on. We do really do appreciate it. We need to get the word out. We need to continue to do what we can for our communities. 
you know, this funding source helps so many small businesses, so many charities, so many people throughout the entire state. And it helps keep property taxes low um, by funding things through the fire department, through our athletic associations. You know, it, it's just it has become so much. People can reach out to us at um, protectourcharities.com um, or we're on Facebook and, and we're working on a Twitter um, I'm sure they can also, you know, be more than happy to reach out to allied charities or even the American legions. Um, we have built quite a coalition here working on, uh, how do we get this back to a point where it's at least something that's going to be functional for these charities, um, and not become so devastating. And that, and that's our goal. I want to mention also, uh, you were the author of a, uh, editorial in the Star Tribune that was published in early May. So if people have interest in this topic, I think you could go take a look at that. Obviously, a lot has changed since then, but a lot of the underlying information is still uh, very pertinent. Uh, I mean, in fiscal year 2022, charitable gambling generated $131 million for states, local charities, and $180 million in tax revenue. Those are powerful numbers. Every one of those dollars, uh, I, I don't know how they did it in St. Paul Park. Um, there were there are some regulations around where that money can be spent and how it can be spent. And a lot of uh, the vast, vast majority of that charitable gambling money comes right back to the community that you live in uh, and goes to organizations that you know that are run by people you know, people who are your neighbors. And um, again, to kind of gut that uh, for because some special interest wrote a bill and uh, had you inserted at the last minute in the in the literal 11th hour um, is is uh, very disappointing, unfortunately, not surprising. Uh, any final words for us, Keith Frankie? Once again, I just want to say thank you and, and do what you can to get the word out. And if anybody has any questions, we're here to answer them. Um, just remember that, like you said, this funnels right out into your local community. I mean, once this does impact, because another thing is they did add one amendment. It was supposed to take effect before the next election, but the amendment added, put it out past the next election in the House. So people won't actually see the impact until after the next election. So it's. Can you expand on that for a second? Sure. The in conference committee, they had one amendment. And that amendment, it was supposed to, this legislation was supposed to take effect in August of 2024, which would have pretty much all but ended electronic pull tabs right before the election for the next House race. Instead, they offered a six-month extension saying it gives people more time to be prepared um, and it will now take effect January 1st, 2025. Uh, let's not forget that the legalization of marijuana goes into effect uh, pretty much immediately. So uh, we can set the effective dates of policies based on how popular they're going to be. Uh, and uh, we want those popular uh, items to go into effect immediately. Uh, if we're going to gut your local charities, we're going to we're going to push that effective date out so that we can hide behind that vote and hope that we put enough uh, distance between us that we can't be blamed for it. It's a sick, sad game. I hate every bit of it, uh, but it is the way that the game is played. Uh, thank you again, uh, former representative and former mayor, Keith Frankie. Thanks so much.
No, thank you. Appreciate it. You guys have a good day. Representative, I, I want you to know, I'm sorry, representative and former mayor, I want you to know that this is an issue that you'll always find a home on. I hope you hope this interview was good and you felt like you got your voice heard. I want you to know you're welcome back anytime. Any updates, just let us know. Uh, and this is a, a safe space, a fun space, and a thoughtful space to discuss your issues. And, and I hope you, if you have time and there's an update, I want you to know you're welcome back, sir. No, thank you very much. And thanks for the time. You know, I could talk about this all day. I am really not being this executive director is supposed to be a part-time thing and I'm not getting paid very much for it, but <laughs> I'm so passionate about it because I know, and it makes me mad, not only because of the process and of what this issue does for our entire state and the way it was done. It just, it, it makes me upset because I know being a former mayor, being a business owner, being a part of the Lions Club, being a part of other organizations, what this funding source has become for our communities. And to have that stripped away, I just, I'm blown away. I'm beside myself sometimes when things like this happen. So we're going to continue and, and I appreciate the offer and we'll be back as soon as we can come up with something and we'll be asking for your help. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. That was a, a great interview, and I learned a lot from the discussion. Jeff, you've uh, formerly served on the, the city council in Crystal. Um, explain, and just again, because I think it's important to understand, the relationship that exists between the charities, youth sports, and other um, support that is needed in local communities, uh, such as you mentioned, firefighters and other type of first responders that are involved in this. Sure, we have uh, we have here in Crystal a number of local organizations, and those you know, there's only so many bars, there's only so many restaurants, only so many places where you can kind of have these types of things, and so kind of landing the landing that spot is very competitive. Um, but one of the examples, uh, the West Metro Fire Relief Association. Sorry, I get a little bit stuck on what the names are around here, but basically that is the group that runs the the pension for our firefighters. They have a charitable gambling license and they are in one of the local bars. Uh, they run their pull tab operation there and they are huge donors to the community. There's, there's really not any large uh, civic project that has not received a donation from the Firefighters Relief Association. And there are some laws, as I mentioned uh, earlier, there's some laws around how those funds can be spent and cities can pass ordinances around how funds can be spent and the way that the ordinance works in Crystal, there's a certain percentage of the of your charitable gambling um, proceeds that must be distributed to within the city basically for things in the city and then there's some other things they can do with it as well but we have we have um we have the lions we have um we have the relief association i'm probably gonna i'm just gonna forget all of the other organizations who are out there doing good um but we have a number of these charitable gambling operations in the city of crystal and i think when you go outside of that you'll see i mean i mentioned maple grove which has a huge active hockey organization and that hockey organization those parents are not happy with the fact that that money that was that revenue source that was coming in from their charitable gambling that was being funneled back into the community is now going to be 
cut off or sent up to some casino somewhere. One of the reasons um, I, I wanted to have you on and you've been on so frequently is, is, and one of the things I respect about you is, is your ability to forecast and your ability to kind of map out things in the future. What do you think happens over the summer and into the next session related to this issue? Do you think it gets a, is there any type of cleanup? Uh, uh, Becky and I spoke with representative Ann New Brindley last week and um, she thought there was, you know, the possibility that there was some cleanup stuff. Is this the type of uh, issue that you think gets readdressed next session or is it is it over with and done for? You know, I think I think politics is a lot about um, who's the noisiest. And and I think if parents and members of the community and members of these charities, if they flood the DFL with messages talking about how awful this is and how disgusted they are that they that this was done you know at the 11th hour um, when nobody had a chance to weigh in on it and there were no um, committee hearings and and no information was able to be disseminated prior to the vote and it was a strict party line vote I, I think those um, so if people get involved and people tell their elected officials those kinds of things, then yes, there is a chance. If you don't, if you just kind of sit back and you and you don't do anything about it, um, and you just let it, let it happen, and you vote DFL next time like you did this time. I mean, especially in the in the suburbs, right? Um, elections are won and lost on these types of small small seeming issues, right? Where, um, but I mean, you get a bunch of hockey parents together and they campaign against and they they kind of work their network against a particular candidate in a particular party um, or f for them, for instance, um, you can really change the makeup. I mean, it, we were only a few hundred votes away from a much different legislature last time. Um, so I think that there's, there's obviously, there is a chance to go to make this different make the make this come out differently but only if people get involved and people talk about that they're not happy with it well i was excuse me i was impressed with the conversation that you had with uh former representative and former mayor uh keith frankie it was a good discussion it was a thoughtful discussion it was a very informed discussion and i thank you being a part of the show and, and leading that segment because i think a lot of listeners of of this podcast are going to get some new information and i'm thanking you for again for for being a part of this show all right enough of the love fest let's have a food fight all right is there food fight intro music do we have some kind of like like everybody was kung fu fighting or do you, do you roll anything before the food fight or is this just kind of like a straight up we just do the food fight kind of thing there's a great uh, food fight in animal house which i don't know if i could get uh, into any copyright laws by using that uh but it's called yeah. fair use michael you should look it up let's all right so let's talk let's talk a bit about this food fight thing that you guys have have gotten on because uh, let me just tell you um in the nicest way possible your lists suck both you and becky have terrible lists every week so first of all becky goes out with these things where it's like oh what's your favorite snack food and she's like uh chips right i mean it's not we're not looking for broad categories of like uh, like what's your favorite 
snack food, salty snacks. Nobody, uh, you, you got to be specific here. So let's get some specificity. You were, I mean, Charleston chew was specific. It was awful, but it's specific. And then, you know, I, I, I just, I just, I question your taste. I question your taste. I question Becky's taste. I question everybody's taste. I, I just, I just, I, I feel like you guys really lack the credibility to pull off something like this food fight but we're gonna do it this week uh we've got a great what am i I doing right now jeff yeah so when we record and we're not in the same room uh there is video here and so i can see michael you guys thankfully cannot see michael (laughs) he 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 is stuffing a charleston chew into his mouth at this point he's uh, it's it's actually quite disgusting uh please chew with your mouth closed <laughs> i'm glad that this is not a live stream uh so let's get on to the food fight so we've got a good topic this week frozen pizza frozen pizza is the is the is the food fight topic uh let me start by saying that the number one item on the list is that any delivery pizza or any restaurant pizza is automatically better than any frozen pizza. So I want to put that out there just kind of as the, as the, the worst delivery pizza you get is better than the best frozen pizza. So you can't compare frozen pizza and fresh pizza. It's just, it's just not the same thing. I mostly agree with you, but there will be one, one part of my list that is a frozen version that is purchasable in grocery stores that also has takeout. And I like the frozen better. That's gotta be some bad fresh pizza, but okay. So, uh, so let's go. How, how, how do we do this? You start first. All right. And I'm giving my number one or I'm giving my number five. You're giving your number one, bud. Okay. Number one, lots of matzah, sausage and pepperoni. That's a good choice. Thank you. I know. Um, I went a little more broad, so I'm going to go, uh, seventh Avenue pizza. Okay. Uh, They have great pizza. All their varieties are good. Um, Minnesota company. Um, I enjoy them, all of their varieties. Now I'm not a big fan of the, of a breakfast pizza. Um, I usually like to pizzas like a lunch or dinner, but I went with seventh Avenue and it's a, it's, I think it's a Minneapolis company. They're great. All their varieties are good, and uh, I think it's a solid pick. You certainly brought your A game today. Okay, number two on my list, Tombstone Sausage. You did it. I did. You did it. You did it. We discussed this prior to the show. I did. Tombstone better not be on your list. Well, it is on my list. It is the second best frozen pizza there is, Tombstone Sausage. Okay, my second is Lots of Matzah. They make a Supreme. They also make a pepperoni. It's fantastic. I like the cheese on it. Um, it's a great pizza. Um, no, no wonder you were complimentary. It, it was yeah. an item that was on my list. Okay. All right. Number three on my list, Tombstone Sausage and Pepperoni, which is different than Tombstone Sausage. So your your second one was what? Tombstone. I just heard Tombstone and I zoned out. What was Tombstone Sausage. Oh. is number two and then tombstone sausage and pepperoni is number three so when we so in the interest of disclosure we know that each of us has a list but we don't know each other's list so when i lobbed out tombstone better not be on your list you knew that you had at least two on there true okay 
Um, my number three is Red Baron Classic Crust Pizza Pepperoni. Pepperoni pizza. So what's funny, let me roll right into my number four. My number four is Red Baron Canadian Bacon circa 1992. Ooh. Now I've got I've got a, I've got a story around the Red Baron Canadian Bacon Pizza. I actually still have a scar on my wrist from when I removed a Red Baron Canadian Bacon Pizza from the oven in around 1992, and it slid off the pan, and the pan landed on my wrist, and I've got uh, a circular scar here where uh, where it burned me. Um, but that was some darn good pizza. Uh, my parents used to uh, go out on uh, Saturday nights uh, occasionally and would leave my brother and I uh, at home. And that was kind of the go-to when it was, uh, when it, when it, we were home alone, it was the, uh, it was the Canadian bacon red Baron pizza. Um, are you just to deviate for a second? Are you, still a Canadian bacon on pizza person? Uh, I will occasionally, I, I mean, it's not really my favorite topping. I I, I do enjoy Canadian bacon uh, once in a while. Uh, sausage and pepperoni is kind of the go-to, uh, the go-to. What made the Red Baron Canadian bacon different is that they were very large slices of Canadian Never bacon. Enough. Yeah, j- like, uh, like hockey puck-sized no. slices of Canadian bacon, not that little tiny, tiny... Uh, shredded what, stuff what i'm impressed by that as one of your friends i know you're terrible at sports and your knowledge of sports so the fact that you can make a reference to the size of a hockey puck is impressive yeah it, uh my sports knowledge does extend to uh comparisons size of a softball size of a baseball size of a tennis ball size of a golf ball um this one is going to be this is um first of all these are my lists these are only my lists but this is this one is a little bit of a nod to my wife. Um, uh, my wife is from Iowa. Um, she is from a small town in Iowa, close to Dyersville, Iowa, where the Field of Dreams is. Um, the, there is a restaurant in town called uh, Chad's Pizza, uh, Chad's Pizza and Restaurant. Um, I am not a fan, and it's a little bit of a little bit of uh, I stick out a little bit with the in-laws for a variety of reasons. Let's be honest. Um, I am not a fan of Chad's Pizza, but in Iowa, Chad's Pizza is sold in grocery stores, and uh, we will stock up when we're down there and bring some back. They make a fantastic Chad's frozen cheese pizza. Um, I, it's great. It's wonderful. Now, one of our conditions of our list was frozen pizzas that we can buy in the grocery store. Okay, so this Correct. is this is a grocery store pizza. It's available in all of kind of Eastern Iowa. And um, again, I'm not knocking Chad's overall. I'm not a fan of Chad's pizza, but I am a fan of Chad's frozen pizza. Um, we bring it back up. We have it here. It's great. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, remind me to go back to that uh, when we're done here, but I want to get to my number five. My number five is actually not Heggie's. So I just oh, wanted man. to I wanted to make sure that I put uh, there seems to be a Minnesota love affair with this Heggie's oh, pizza. Not Heggie's. Yeah, it's not Heggie's. Okay. Yes. Okay. So so I don't know what it is about people who just seem to love this Heggie's pizza. I just cannot get behind it. I absolutely just cannot 
get behind Haggy's Pizza. I've tried it a few times. I, I I understand you guys like it. You have bad taste. That's fine. But I just Haggy's not my thing. Um, are you employed uh, or a lobbyist for any of the the pizzas that you're going to name? Or I'm a little surprised by this anti Haggy's agenda. Is I am not. It, is it? I am not. Okay. So it's just based on taste. It's not because of any uh, private contract, any secret staffer work, anything like that, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, I will let you know that Heggie's does not appear on my list. All right. Well, Which is good. Are you ready for number five? Yes. Number your, number your, your number five. That was my number five. Not Heggie's was my number five. Okay. Not Heggie's. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wait, I'm confused a little bit. Yeah, it's one, two, three, four, five. It's like an exclusion thing. You know, Jeff, I was hit by a car, okay? You got it. Okay. Okay. I just got to make sure. We just, just, just roll with it for a minute, you okay? Do not, so the, let me just point this out to you, okay? Let me just point this out to you. The instructions were pretty simple. It's five pizzas. And you were critical of Becky and I at the beginning of this. I'm a rebel, year. Dottie. A loner. I'm a rebel, Dottie. So you don't even have five pizzas. Yeah, no. Move on. What's your number okay. five? Uh, I like Screaming Sicilian Pizza. Okay. It's from, now it's from Wisconsin, but part of the reason I like it is because when I see the boxes, I think it looks like Teddy Roosevelt on the front. And Teddy Roosevelt is a, was, I like him as a president. So it's great pizza. I am also, generally speaking, uh, aside from the cheese from Chad, the the Chad's cheese pizza, I am generally a pepperoni sausage. I'm more of a supreme kind of guy, except on the Red Baron that I disclosed. I will also add if I could, a 5A as a pick. I was also a big fan. I don't know if they still make them. Remember the Red Baron French bread ones? Oh, yeah. I that French bread pizza? Of course I do. Oh, that yeah. Was, that was great pizza. Yeah. Uh, the um, I have a Screaming Sicilian in the freezer, actually. Yeah. I, I've not had it yet. It's it's my it's my first it's my first time. Now, I, I want to let the audience uh in on a little thing. The last time that Michael recommended something uh, that came from Iowa food-wise, he it was right after Hy-Vee had opened up here in the Twin Cities. And Michael, rep, he, he told me I had to, just had to try these potato chips. And I don't even know the name of the potato chips. That, and you could get them at Hy-Vee and they were imported from Iowa. And it was this big deal. And I can. I have to tell you, I have never had a more vile, inedible, disgusting potato chip in my entire life. It was the worst potato chip experience I've ever had. Uh, so I'm a little bit leery of your Iowa-based food recommendations. It's Sturzing potato chips. Um, they yeah. are fantastic. They're made in Southeast Iowa. They uh, get them down in Iowa all over the place. They are many things fantastic is not one of them do you know who's going to be upset because i i think a little bit of your rip is also on hy-vee dan walter is going to be mad at you for your ripping on hy-vee hy-vee is a great store they just happen to sell awful potato chips they sell good potato chips but there's a particular set of potato chips that uh that that i that i just do not like now you Again, to repeat, you started this segment by being highly critical of Becky and I, and she's not here right now to defend herself. But I will say, are you surprised by my list? Not ask, not asking that that you agree with me. But I have to say, I have to say, your list is a, is much better than I expected. It really is. Uh, this is I, you've done, 
it seems like you really did your homework. You thought this through. You came up with some good food this time. Uh, I, I am impressed. I am impressed. How bad do you think Becky's list would have been? It would have been just awful. She would have had she would have had non pizza items on it. You know, it would have been like a hot pocket. Would have been like number one, pizza flavored hot pockets or, or bagel bites, something like that. Well, when she's on next week, we'll do a little extra segment where we'll have her give her pizza takes, her frozen pizza takes, because we don't want to leave her out of a food fight. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Claudia, aside from not following the rules and having five pizzas, I think you did a great job. All right, let's let's wrap this up. Tweet of the week. You go first. Tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. Do we have? Uh, do we have? We got to get some music for some of this stuff. There needs to be some kind of tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. All right. So my my tweet of the week is from uh, someone I have followed for a few years now. She is involved in politics in Minnesota in some way. Actually, it looks like she says she is uh, legislative staff. Uh, we are, we do not align, I think, politically on very much at all. I have never met her. Uh, I don't know her. Uh, Selena Coster is her name, and I could not even begin to tell you what this handle is. Salencita, S-A-L-E-N-C-I-T-A. Uh, but she has some kids that are about the same age as my kids, and um, her her kid-related uh, tweets are just just wonderful. And this, so this one says. One thing that no one tells you about having kids is just how many rocks they bring into your house constantly. Just rocks all the time, everywhere. My purse, my pockets, my stroller, all regular holding places for rocks. And uh, I have a daughter who is six years old. And uh, let me tell you, when I dropped her off this morning at her grandmother's house, she got to the door and then said, oh, wait, I almost forgot, ran back to the car, had to get a rock out of the cup holder in her car seat and bring it in for grandma because it was the perfect rock. So I, I identify with the, uh, with there's a rock everywhere in my house, any flat surface, you will find a rock. That's a great story. That's a great tweet of the week. Uh, mine is to my tweet of the week is Matt Kramer. He's at at vision underscore Kramer on Twitter he had a great picture, which I'll link to in the show notes. The official kickoff of summer, liverwurst and Swiss cheese. I specifically remember as a kid, my uh, grandparents on my mother's side having liverwurst, having uh, Swiss cheese. Now, I did get a little sense of uh, from the tweet, there was a little bit of mayo there on there too, which is totally fine. But it was a great it was a great summer tradition. I remember having liverwurst sandwiches, salami sandwich uh, sandwiches, a uh, lot of butter. Um, it just brought me back to my childhood. Any points you any points you got back on your food fight, you just lost right there with that one. So, uh, so do we my, do you know how much of my browser? Let me just minute. Do you know how much of my browser history is food? It all is. I'm going to be so my my kids are going to be so offended when they clean up my browser history when I when I pass. That all the food stuff that's in my browser history. It's lawn, it's lawn care, and it's food. We would like to thank you for listening to the breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky, even though Becky wasn't here. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts 
or on the platform where you listen. You can also leave a review on Broad Carbon Becky's website at bbbreakpod.com or at on Twitter at bbbreakpod, at bbbreakpod. The Breakdown with Broad Carbon Becky will return next week. Who will be hosting next week? Nobody knows. Have a great week, week people. Oh, and he's, he screws up the outro just it's just disappointing it's it's just not the way to go we'll see you next week <laughs>